At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Thank you, Pastor Vince. Good morning, church. What a pleasure it is to be here. How many of you are happy to be in the presence of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. How many or how much influence can a person have? How much impact can a person have on a global basis? If you know your history or if you've studied your history books, you know the answer is a lot, a lot. There have been throughout history many people, several people, who have had significant impact on a global scale. In 2013, Time Magazine put out an article entitled, Who's Biggest? The 100 Most Influential People uh, in History. I'm not going to read all 100 for you, but I want to share with you the top 10. Ready? Here's the top 10 most influential people, the 100 most significant figures in history. At number 10 is Thomas Jefferson. At number nine is Alexander the Great. At number eight is Aristotle. Number seven, Adolf Hitler. At number six, George Washington, followed by Abraham Lincoln. At number four, William Shakespeare. Number three is Mohammed. Number two is Napoleon. And before they put number one up, who do you think number one is? Uh, it's always the right answer in church, isn't it? <laughs> Number one is Jesus. This is the top 10 list of the most influential people, the figures on this planet who have had global significance and global impact. And I think if you know your history, you'd look at that list and you'd say, yeah, well, that looks right. That looks about right. You know, as a Christian, you look at that list and you go, Jesus first, I'm good. Everything is fine. But I'm going to submit to you this morning that uh, there's a mistake in that list. I think there's somebody significant missing in that list. In fact, this person doesn't exist at all in the top 100. And I'm going to submit to you that there should be somebody at number two besides Napoleon. I'm going to humbly submit to you that the person who's perhaps had more influence on you and on me and on the world as a large, second only to Christ, is the man named Adam. You remember Adam? You guys remember Adam? Genesis chapter 1 and so on. I believe that number two should have been Adam. Because there is no one on the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ who has impacted our lives collectively, both in history, today, and beyond, like Adam has. And until we understand the impact that Adam has had on our life, we truly will not understand the predicament we find ourselves in, nor will we understand the lengths to which God has gone to to give us and find us a solution. Adam, as a single individual, has impacted us personally, spiritually, and eternally. 
That's what we're going to look at today, actually, is how that impact occurs. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. As Pastor Vince reminded us, we are in a series called Newish. Everything has changed. Have you? And we are looking at Romans chapters 5 through 7. And last week, we looked at the first half of chapter 5, and, and we saw the Apostle Paul talk about how we have been saved by grace through faith, and that justification, where God declares us righteous, is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, those of us who believe in, in him are declared righteous before God. And because Jesus came to save bad people, if you remember the message from last week, Jesus came to save bad people. Those of us who were bad are now in Christ, have been saved, reconciled. We have access to the Father. We have peace with God. There's a whole litany of things that we have now that we didn't have before because of Jesus. And today we come to the second half of chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And today as we look at these verses, Paul is going to make an astounding claim. He's going to say that our lives are ruled by one act from one man. Our lives are ruled by one act from one man. All people, Paul teaches, stand in relationship to one of two men whose actions determine the eternal destiny of all who belong to them. And so we're going to look at two distinct men who had two distinct actions that have impacted the world as we know it. And the first person he starts with is, in fact, Adam. And so that's my first point. In Adam, death reigns. Let me read for you Romans chapter 5, starting in verse number 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul starts this passage with the word therefore. Remember, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there? Yeah, you've been in church long enough, you know. Um, and so this section isn't different. He's not starting a new thought. He is carrying over all that he has already talked about, that there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to save the lost. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, even last week's message, he's tying all of what he has talked about throughout the book of Romans right here. Therefore, because all that is true, because we have been justified by faith, because we have peace with God and access to the throne room of God, because all of that is true, Paul continues and says in verse number 12 that sin came into the world through one man. But he's been talking about Jesus up to this point. He's been talking about the things, the good things that we have in Jesus. And in order to truly give us the impact of how wonderful the act of Jesus has been in redeeming us and rescuing us, he pivots to tell us about a different man, a different man named Adam. And it's through Adam, as he says in verse number 12, that sin came into the world. You remember 
that moment. In fact, Paul, by making that, that statement, is taking us back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. You remember what happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God made the universe, and he made the earth, and he made it beautiful, and he planted a garden, and he made man, Adam, and he placed Adam in this perfect, beautiful, God-planted garden. Can you imagine what kind of a garden that must have been? Beautiful, lush, perfect, there is no pain, there are, there's no weeds, there's no taxes, there's no arguments, there's nothing but perfection. And God takes Adam and places him in this garden and says, you can do anything you want, you can eat from any fruit of any tree except one. Don't eat from the fruit of that one tree, but everything else is good for you. And you know the story, right? The serpent came and tempted Eve and Eve looked at the tree and saw it was good for food and took the fruit and ate it and gave it to Adam who was with her and he ate it and the moment he ate it, he died. The moment he ate it, he was immediately separated from God. He was spiritually dead. And the moment spiritual death occurred, their bodies started aging, which meant that as they aged, they would ultimately die physically. Death came into the world by the action of one man. That one man named Adam. You know, if I ever see Adam in heaven, I'm probably going to punch him. <laughs> How about you? I mean, the mess we're in is all because of Adam. We would be in a garden in perfect paradise, living in intimacy with God, had Adam not taken the fruit. And Paul says it's because of the act of one man, sin and death came into the world that since that point, every single one of us, you and me and everybody who has ever lived on this planet have been tainted with sin. That taint is in us from the moment we come into this world. Before we do a single willful act of disobedience, we are already tainted with sin. Why? Because of Adam. Because of one act by one man, sin and death entered this world, and as a result, all of us have a fallen nature. If you want to be really th theological about it, it's the theology or the doctrine of original sin. And Paul tells us in the second half of verse 12 that because of Adam's sin, the entire human race is now contaminated. And I, some of you are thinking, but, but that's not fair. Why would God judge me based on what Adam did? I mean, Adam lived thousands of years ago. I'm here today. What does that have to do with me? And the reason we have that mentality is because we live in a very individualistic society, right? It's about me, myself, and I. I forget everybody about everybody else, but the Bible doesn't view us individually. It typically views us corporately. I want to re remind you of a story back in Joshua chapter 7. If you remember Joshua chapter 7, the Israelites had just crossed Jordan and they just finished taking Jericho. Remember the walls came down and, and God said, don't take anything, destroy everything and everybody. And they had done that and they had been victorious against this gargantuan city with all of its walls that came tumbling down and they were victorious. And then they went to their next battle against a little city named Ai. Very small, very tiny, no walls and so they sent half of their army out to battle that, and they lost. Remember that story? And they lost. And, and Joshua and the people cry out to God, God, why did you make us lose? And God says, because Israel 
sinned. And through a process of elimination, they found that the sin actually wasn't all of Israel. It was one man named, do you remember him? Achan, yeah. And Achan, when he was going through the battle of Jericho, had seen some beautiful clothing and some precious metals, and he'd taken that, and he dug a hole and buried, buried it under his tent. And because of that sin, that impacted the entire nation of Israel so that the next battle they went to, they lost and people died. And you know what the remedy was? Achan, his whole family, and all of his livestock. I mean, what did the cows do? Why the cows? But you see, Achan's one sin impacted the nation. And as a result, in order to get rid of that sin so that they could be right with God, Achan's family and possessions and property were destroyed. And you're saying, okay, but that's the Old Testament. We live in grace now. I mean, can't, let me give you a different example. You may have read the book or watched the movie The Hunger Games. You remember that? Some of you, yeah, maybe some of you know. Katniss Everdeen, remember Katniss Everdeen? In the beginning of the movie, she was picked or she substituted herself for her sister Prim. You remember that? So that Prim could live. And as she was chosen to represent her district, you remember what happened? She goes to the games, and if she wins, what happens? Her district, her entire district, gets to have food and festivities for a whole year. That was the prize. So what happened at Katniss Everdeen happened to the entire district. She was their representative. And as a result of what would happen to her, all of that would impact the district. I know what you're thinking. Okay, well, that's just a fictional story. Somebody made that up. Okay, you and I live in a, well, we live under representation, don't we? You and I go to vote in November. We elect somebody to do what for us? Represent us. And if they vote to increase our taxes, what will happen to our taxes? They're going to go up. If they vote for us to go to war, we're going to. So we live under representation. We understand what it means to be represented by someone. And so in a cosmic kind of sense, when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam died, we die. Adam's guilt is our guilt. You're following? So by the action of one man... The whole earth is under the condemnation of God because of sin, and therefore all of us die. That's the universal truth. By the way, if you want to impress your friends, that's called federal headship. Federal headship, or a more common term, Adam is our representative. Adam is our representative, and because he sinned, we all sin. By the way, if you have a problem with federal headship or the fact that Adam is your representative. Here's how R.C. Sproul put it. He says, if you're objecting on the grounds that the principles of representation and imputation are wrong in and of themselves, then you must realize that you have just taken away the ground for your salvation. It is only by representation that you are saved and only by imputation that you are redeemed. If it is right for God to save a man on the basis of another man's work, it is also right for God to punish us on the basis of another man's work. You know what that means? If you don't like the fact that Adam's sin affects you, then you can't claim Jesus' work for you either. And I'm not sure any of us want to go there. By the way, if you don't want God to judge you on Adam's sin, how about God just hold you accountable for your sin? Any of us want to find ourselves not guilty before God? 
No, we can't, can we? The truth is, all have sinned. And yes, we are not, uh, we don't sin, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's what we are by nature, by birth. Because of Adam's one sin, sin contaminates the world. And in verses 13 to 14, Paul drives home the point that, that sin was in the world even before the law. You see, Adam failed a specific commandment of God. God said, don't eat from that one tree. And then what did Adam do? Well, he ate from that one tree. He disobeyed a very specific command. But from Adam until Moses, there was no other law. God didn't give a law until Moses and Mount Sinai. But between, Mo between Adam and Moses, there was no law. And yet, people still died. He's just making the case that people died even though there was no specific law or commandment that people were breaking. And yet, because they were born sinners, they died. Does that make sense? The penalty for sin is death. And that's why every person who is born on the face of the planet dies. Because we are all in Adam, we all have a terrible problem. Our problem is that our sin, because of Adam's sin, separates us from a holy God. A holy and righteous God cannot stand in the presence of sin. He has to pour out His wrath upon it. And so our sins create a divide between us and a holy God. And so those of us who are in Adam, those of us who are born in this world, we don't have a choice. We didn't have a choice in our birth. We were born in sin. We were alienated from God. The Bible says that we are objects of wrath because of our sin. But even though you and I had no control over our first birth, and we didn't have control of being in Adam or, or not being in Adam, we do have a choice, don't we? We have a choice whether we stay in Adam or not. And that brings me to my second point, and that is that in Jesus, <clears throat> grace reigns. In Jesus, grace reigns. Skip down to verse number 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We skip down to verse number 18 because verse number 12, if you look in your Bibles, ends with a dash or the next verse starts with a parenthesis. You see, after verse number 12, Paul actually goes on a rabbit trail. He goes off on a rabbit trail. He doesn't pick up his thought until verse number 18, which is why we're here. In Adam, death reigns. In Christ, grace reigns. And that's what he is trying to get us to understand. In one man's act of disobedience, sin and death came into the, in this world. The contrast to Adam is Jesus. And in Jesus, one act of righteousness, one act of obedience brought life and grace. Where death reigned in Adam, grace and life reign in Jesus Christ. That's the essential <coughs> point that Paul is making. And so if you look at these verses, you find that Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus left his glory behind. 
and came not into paradise, but into a sin-infested world. How can a righteous, holy God come and live amongst sinful humanity? But that's the mystery of the incarnation. He did. He didn't come to paradise. He, come, he came to live with us. In the midst of our life, in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our mess, Jesus came. And he lived perfectly, obediently, wonderfully, living in the will of his Father. And that will took him to a cross where on three nails he hung, dying for the sins of humanity, not because he was guilty, because we were guilty. And the love and grace that God showed us on the cross, he died, and because he died, because of his one act of obedience, that, that righteousness, that grace, that life that is in Jesus is available to everyone who will believe. So while you didn't have a choice with Adam, you do have a choice in Jesus. Because if you're willing to receive the, the fact that in Adam you are dying, in Jesus you can have life, and life abundantly. In fact, in verse number 20, Paul talks about how much greater the work of Jesus is. Notice, you see, the law was given through Moses so that, and Paul says, so that sin might increase. He uses the word trespass in verse number 20. He says, the law was given so that trespass might increase. But how does that work? Well, the word trespass, do you know what the word trespass means? It means you crossed the line, right? Maybe, maybe you live in a subdivision like my wife and I do, where if you're on the other side of the subdivision, you can cut through a couple of backyards to get to our house. And that's okay, right? That's all good until some neighbor posts a sign that says, no trespassing. What does it mean? You can't cut through my yard anymore. And the moment I cut through the yard, I have now what? Trespassed. You ever see a sign that says, do not touch? And what's the first thing you want to do? What, wait, what? That's not the wrong answer. <laughs> but, but, but our natural inclination is to touch. Do not open. Oh, yeah, says who? <laughs> I want to peek. It's our natural inclination. Why? As soon as there is a law, now you know what the bar is, and our natural inclination is, I'm going to cross that line. Jesus says, here's the line. This is what the law does. It draws a line. And what we find ourselves doing is we're crossing the line. We've trespassed. So the law was given so that trespass might increase. We didn't know it was wrong before, but we know it's wrong now. And even though we know it's wrong, we still like to do it anyway. And that's what he's saying in verse number 20. Yet where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. Do you see that? Grace abounded all the more. The word abound is really kind of a poor translation. I'd prefer a word more like superabounded or hyperabounded because the word abounded for some of you, 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 you know, your kids are abounding all over the place and it's okay. I mean, it's kind of an old-fashioned word. But this is kind of hyped up on steroids kind of abounded word. Does that make sense? Where sin reigned, grace superabounded. It hyper-increased. You see, there's so many of us who think we have sinned and, and we have fallen so short of the glory of God that there's no way God can save us. But you know what? That's because you don't know God and you don't know God's grace. We think we have totally exhausted God's grace today. It's because you don't know God's grace. 
God's grace superabounds. Where sin and death reigns, God's grace is so much greater that it superabounds in our life. It overflows so that we are drenched and dripping with it. That's the kind of hyperabounding grace that we have in Jesus Christ. No matter how much you and I sin, God's grace is more than enough to cover our sin. Amen? That's God's grace. It superabounds. That no matter how far we've ever run from God, we can't outrun the grace of God. If you think that you can outrun, outhide, or outspend God's grace, let me tell you, it isn't going to happen. You cannot outspend the grace of God. Amen? Because of the one act of disobedience, Jesus brings grace and life and righteousness. What a difference Jesus makes. Isn't that true? For those of us who are in Christ, we know what we have, don't we? We have the grace of God that brings life with, with God, and we have access into the throne room of grace all because of the one act of obedience that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. When you and I are willing to accept that sacrifice, when we're willing to accept that act of obedience on our account, then Jesus credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us so that we no longer stand in the presence of God with our righteousness because the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. But when we accept His righteousness, you know, when we stand in the presence of God, we don't stand with our righteousness, we stand with His. We stand clothed in the righteousness of God. We stand with the credit of Jesus Christ to our account so that when Jesus looks at me, He sees Jesus. He doesn't see you in your sin. He sees Jesus. He sees you washed in the red blood of the Son of God who loved you so much to give his life for you by one act of obedience. Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. That is, bring life and grace, righteousness and peace. And it can be yours if you are in Christ. Maybe you're still hung up on the fact that it's not fair. It's not fair that God is holding me accountable for what Adam did. But if God cannot hold you accountable for what Adam did, then God can't use the sacrifice of Christ for you either. Friends, I would rather have the cross of Christ. Amen? That no matter how much I sin, I know that the cross is always standing, always ready, that when I bend my knee, that the blood of Jesus washes me white as snow. That no matter how far I've run, the cross is never too far from me, amen? That no matter how far I have fallen, his hand is right there to reach down and pick me up and place me so that I can stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope, and that's what we sung. Because when we are in Christ, grace reigns. So the question this morning that I want to leave with you is my third point, and that is, in you, who reigns? In you, who reigns? Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, many much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result that one man's sin, of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
In these verses, Paul is giving us quite a bit of contrast between what life in Adam looks like versus what life in Christ looked like. In fact, in verse number 15, he gives us a contrast between sin and grace. In Adam, we get sin. We're born with it. And then we go into life and we then go do it. But in Christ, we receive grace. Where sin brings death, grace brings life. They're always a pair. Sin and death, grace and life. That's the contrast in verse number 15. In 16, the contrast is between condemnation and justification. You see, because of Adam's sin, he was judged. He was kicked out of the garden. He died spiritually, and ultimately he would die physically. That's the result of sin. But the result of grace is that you and I are declared righteous. That's what justification means. We are declared righteous, that the righteous act of Jesus is now credited or imputed or added to our account. We no longer stand in our sins. We stand forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then if you come to verse number 17, Paul tells us how we can achieve this good news. How do we go from being in Adam to being in Christ? Well, he tells us it's a free gift. It's a free gift. A gift by definition is free, right? I mean, if your boss comes to you on Friday or whenever payday is and says, oh, look what I have. I have a, a paycheck for you. It's going to be my gift to you. What would you say to the boss? You dummy. I, I, <laughs> it's not a gift. I earned it. Give me my money. Right? That's what you would say. You maybe say a little bit more colorfully, but, um, <laughs> but we're in church. Let's not go there. Um, but a gift isn't something earned. You don't work for it. Paul says in verse number 17 that it is a gift. In fact, five times in three verses, Paul says it's a free gift. He wants to emphasize the point that there is nothing we can do to earn it, nothing that we can do to be worthy of it, nothing we can do to check enough boxes, that the gift of God is free to you and to me because all we have to do is say yes to Jesus. And the minute we say yes to Jesus, the gift is yours. If it's your birthday and I come to your house and I give you a gift, you have two options, right? You can slam the door in my face true, right? You wouldn't, but I'm hoping you wouldn't. Or you can do what? You can receive it. And that's true with any gift. You have two options. You can say, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't accept that. I, I don't want that. Or you can say, thank you very much. How did you know? And, and you take. The free gift is available just like that to you. God is standing right next to you and saying, the free gift of the obedience of Jesus Christ that paid the penalty for sin, past, present, and future. You realize that one act of obedient, disobedience brought sin and death. And since that day, it ha we have been sinning and sinning and sinning. And just in my own life, there are hundreds of thousands of sins just in my own life. But by the act and the obedience of one man, all of our trespasses, all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid. One act of Jesus Christ. How much more superabounding is the grace of God than the one act of Adam? My friends, the free gift is for you. The question is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? The question is up to you. If you are still in Adam, 
then you're still under condemnation. You're still under the judgment of God against sin. And the decision of not accepting the free gift is that one day you will be separated from God forever. Friends, I don't want to see that happen to you. There's a free gift waiting for you. If you say, Lord, I am sorry for the sins I've committed. I repent of my sins and I turn to you and I receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. You will immediately go from death to life. You immediately go from condemnation to justification. You immediately go from being in Adam to being in Christ. Yesterday, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. 20 years ago, as those buildings were burning, first responders rushed into the chaos and the fire and the burning of those buildings to help evacuate those men and women trapped inside. You remember. <clears throat> but many of them never made it out as those buildings came down. They paid the ultimate price. But my friends, as wonderful as that is, and we need to remember them, and we will never forget them, but there is one who's done something greater. He left the beauty of heaven and came into the chaos of this life, into the fire and into the mess and into the sickness and into the death of this life. And he went to a cross, not for himself, not for just a few people, but for, for everybody, so that those of us who believe in him might have life and life everlasting. My friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ, may I just offer him up once again to you, that he stands by you just saying, just ask of me and I will give. Confess with your mouth and you will be saved. You can go from being an Adam which, where you had no choice to being in Christ where you do have a choice. I hope you make the right choice. Amen? Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.